0: Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio I'm Adam A. Donaldson I am the host of the show and this week it is another show where we are going to recap some of the movies that we saw last year under the general theme of Hollywood and there were a lot of films in 2022 that were about hollywood making movies about making movies and uh, some of the prominent figures who make movies whether they be actors or directors um, directors making their own life stories as in the case of the fablemans directed by steven spielberg that is not one of the movies we're going to be talking about today though Uh, but first let me just introduce the show in case you are new here end credits is a local movie show for local movie fans and we're here every wednesday at 3 p.m to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies which as i said will be uh three reviews from last year that we're going to give some extra love here at the beginning of 2023 so first you're going to hear the review i did with tim phillips last summer about the unbearable weight of massive talent starring nick cage as nick cage in a sort of grandiose excerpt from his life uh, his life if it were a nick cage action movie <laughs> after that candace Lepage will join us for a review of x which is part of uh, an apparent trilogy from Ty west x takes place in the 1970s and it's a group of young people who go out to the middle of nowhere in texas to shoot an adult film when things go awry. And then we will wrap this up with yet more adult content. The Andrew Dominic review, um, excuse me, the Andrew Dominic uh, drama uh, based on the life of Marilyn Monroe, which has caused more than a little controversy, perhaps more than a little friction between me and Peter Salmon when we reviewed that last fall. Uh, it did end up on Peter's top five list. Uh, it did not end up anywhere near my top five list, but. It is worth revisiting that review, I think. Uh, it is an interesting movie for sure. Did I see the title? I don't think I did. It's Blonde. And that is on Netflix right now. If you care to watch it, you can actually find all of these movies streaming or for rent on VOD somewhere right now. But if you'd rather just sort of hear our reviews, uh, just stay tuned to this channel for the next hour. And stay tuned to CFRU going forward because next week we are coming back with an all new episode of the show and starting our slate of 2023 reviews. So that's going to be fun and exciting. In the meantime, we're going to begin our reprisal of Hollywood movies about Hollywood. That is the loose theme of this week's show. So we're going to get started with the review of The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent after this musical break. Thanks, and we will see you with new episodes next week.
1: out there you get the truck you come back and get me i will keep a lookout uh-huh love it love the plan but maybe you should go and i'll stay here i love that plan i do but you are a faster runner than me i saw how fast you were in national treasure no that'd be the stunt department not according to the making of feature fine i'll
0: go wait so you're gonna go i'm going with you and that was a clip from the unbearable weight of massive talent it is the new film from writer director. Tom Gormican, and it stars Nicolas Cage, Pedro Pascal, Sharon Hogan, Tiffany Haddish, Ike Barinholtz, Lily Shane, and Neil Patrick Harris rounding out the cast and uh, so I, I think this has sort of been on my radar for a while I wasn't able to get to theaters to see it unfortunately uh, it is Nick Cage playing Nick Cage and then playing an, an alternative sort of inner. Inner monologue, Nick Cage. That uh, I guess I don't know if they did the whole um, put, putting him through the computer to make him look younger. Or if they just put him in a bad wig and figured, well, this looks like a '90s hairstyle. <laughs> it looked um, like
1: they it looked <laughs> like they de-aged him. Yeah, yeah, they me. might have. Yeah, it's. I mean,
0: I don't know if like the bushy eyebrows. Like they really bushified his eyebrows to to be like the late not, late '80s, early '90s Nicholas Cage look, but. Um, They'll, I guess uh, the, the filmmakers here will keep their secret. But why don't you kick us off, Tim, by talking about your thoughts, uh, your initial thoughts on the unbearable weight of massive talent.
1: Yeah, my initial thoughts, I, I like you, wanted to see it for a little while. Um, chose a few movies over it since it was mm-hmm. out, like The Northman and uh, Top Gun. And I was <laughs> like... <laughs> i really was psyched about seeing it because it's like nick cage playing nick cage so it's like wow this is going to be pretty wild it's getting really good reviews everybody's saying it's hilarious so it was still on my radar saw that you know it is you know available video on demand Mm -hmm. so decided to go with it see what it was all about and i thought yeah i thought it was a hilarious hilarious film um kind of like adaptation before instead of him playing charlie kaufman he's playing himself but (laughs) playing a couple different versions sort of the down and he's playing like a down and out present day um nicholas cage who has all these familial problems and his career it's not really where he wants it to be he just lost out on this big role where he'd memorized this crazy monologue and Mm -hmm. set it back to the uh producer (laughs) he said i'm gonna say this to you right now yeah like in the middle of the street he's like the producer's like holy crap (laughs) what's going on here (laughs) um and so he's and he embarrasses his daughter at her birthday party because he's so you know so down on himself for losing this role he's drunk and he's Mm -hmm. playing the piano poorly making up songs um and so then yeah so so then he's like desperate for something and along comes his agent played by neil patrick harris Mm -hmm. who does a great job playing a smarmy agent Mm -hmm. seems like a good role for him to say (laughs) there's a million dollar offer here to go to this guy's birthday party this billionaire down in mallorca spain and uh yeah, so it's it, that premise alone. I think just really drew me in, and and then he goes, and I think the um, his co-star Pedro Pascal
2: mm-hmm. is
1: is awesome in this, just playing somebody who's just like a fan. This, you know, naive. He's a naive billionaire who just you know wants to. Um, wants to have his screenplay produced and star his hero, <laughs> Nicholas cage, right? <laughs> like the super fan. And I think he, he's excellent in that role. Um, the scene where they go in his like mausoleum to Nicholas cage with the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. with all the artifacts and the, you know, the wax figure from face off with the golden guns. And yeah, it's, 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 it's hilarious. Um, and it kind of, it, you know, it uses that sort of, it's sort of like the meta formula, something mm-hmm. like sort of from adaptation where, okay, I'm gonna make a movie about plants, you can't just make a movie about plants, there has to be action. So in this one, it starts off really inside Nicolas Cage's head about these movies he likes, these really arty movies, mm-hmm. and you know, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and there's all these references to that. Uh, but then it's like, no, this has to turn into an action movie. And it, and then predictably it does. And I think it's a lot of fun when it turns into that action movie. Um, so I, I think it's just like a great sort of popcorn movie. A lot of fun. Um, Nicolas Cage playing with his persona, which he can, because it's out there so much now and all the memes on the internet and mm-hmm. everybody knows, you know, this over the top Nicolas Cage pers- persona. So Good for him for, for, you know, playing with that. And I thought, thought it was a lot of fun. The, the whole movie, you know, obviously a lot of it's predictable, but you, you go with it. You, you, you love it just cause it's just wild Nick Cage mm-hmm. and um, Pedro Pascal. I think, like I said, excellent in that, the dual lead role.
0: Hmm. I think, I think Pedro Pascal is almost like the real star of this. Um and, and the, he's, he's got some real comedic chops. Uh, he's kind of been cast as, I guess, between Game of Thrones and The Mandalorian and, uh, you know, Wonder Woman and the Equalizer. Like, he's as this kind of, like, action-y guy. But I think, like, Chris Hemsworth, there's, like, a comedian in there. Um, re- really, you know, handsome man of action. Who wants to just be like a, a like a funny guy? Like um, he was easily, if not the best part of the bubble, uh, the the Judd Apatow movie about making a, a blockbuster in pandemic conditions. He, he he if he wasn't the best part, he was definitely one of the best parts. And there's this great scene in it where he um, hallucinates falling in love with uh, the. He has this mirror-like workout device where it's uh, the 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 instructor is um, a woman who looks like Daisy Ridley, and he pictures he he hallucinates himself falling in love with her and her falling in love with him, and it's just it's it's crazy, and uh, he's just so gonzo for it. And yeah, there's this really great scene where they get high in LSD, talking about their screenplay, and they think they're uh, this is in Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, not The Bubble, but uh, him and Nick Cage are they, they think they're being spied on which of course they are they're under surveillance <laughs> yeah. by the fbi as nick cage knows and, and pedro pascal doesn't but um you know they think they're being watched by these two people eating ice cream nearby <laughs> and he does this <laughs> and nick cage tells him to, to like look around while doing this fake laugh and it's like the, the, the fakeness of the laugh <laughs> is tortuous but it's so great and the look on his face as he's doing this fake laugh is brilliant and then they try to escape and um there's a sequence where. Uh, they they climb a wall and uh it, it plays like straight out of a Nick cage action movie it is um so brilliant i again i i i enjoyed this film i thought it was entertaining there's definitely a lot of funny bits in it i i think everybody's game um but i think it, 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 they're just it i feel like the movie isn't quite up to the joke it's trying to make if that makes sense there's yeah. like the whole thing first of all I, I saw somebody point this out online uh this movie ends the exact same way that austin powers and gold member does which is not great oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i realized that and i was like oh my god it does it totally does where it, it segues from the movie to the movie within the movie
1: oh yeah and- yeah a lot of movies yeah yeah, the it, player it, you know
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. it, it's it, what struck me in that moment is like it's so weird it's like the, the movie within the movie looks exactly like the movie and yeah. so that doesn't quite you know work for me after like after watching Elvis last week which also ends with the, the movie Elvis um, basically becoming like the archival footage of Elvis um, where you kind of get that smoothly where you can it kind of makes you wonder did that just happen or and and, it, and you realize oh it did just happen we have transitioned from the movie elvis to the archival elvis and it just it, it doesn't it doesn't quite flow as well that you know you get this this nicholas cage meta comedy meta action comedy that looks like they just made it straight like a nicholas cage movie like a, if it was like michael bay making nicholas cage in the unbearable weight of massive talent, which it just it, it doesn't quite it doesn't quite get me there as, as yeah. terms of like a, a, a structural narrative piece. Like I think the individual pieces are really fun. Again, cage and Pascal are fun together. Um, and I like, um, I like the idea of this a lot. And I think the uh, Sharon Hogan who places move in is, his ex-wife in the movie um, is really good. But then you also get like, if I were to close my eyes and think, if I'm making a movie, a meta comedy starring Nick Cage, who else would I cast? Neil Patrick Harris as his agent? Yeah, that makes sense. How, we need a couple of FBI agents. Who can they be? Uh, how about Tiffany Haddish and Ike Barinholtz? That you know, it just it just yeah. seems like it was cast from like a who's hot right now perspective instead of you know getting people who might be able to fit the world better. It just mm-hmm. some of it feels kind of lazy and. and some of it feels you know that like they were really on to something and it like the movie just never quite gels for me um even even though i do i do like it
1: yeah and and like yeah there's moments definitely they're predictable like yeah i didn't feel like he was like javi is as bad as people are saying he is or anything yeah. like that you know yeah. i wasn't you know it wasn't but yeah, I thought, I thought just for just all in good fun. Really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, probably could have been better. Probably could have explored Nicholas Cage's worlds a little more. You know, yeah. like it uh, definitely like almost subconsciously does. Like maybe they knew. Like he talks to a psychiatrist, and I think back to like Vampire's <laughs> Kiss, which we're talking about,
0: <laughs> right? But maybe
1: he could have gone off. You know, like just. <laughs> add those elements just go full bore like if this is about nick cage because it's more about nick cage persona right like you mm-hmm. you know his family life probably is nothing like what they're showing <laughs> but um if you're going you know, just based on his performances yeah you know, Go well, in, even crazier, I'd say. In certain, aspects. in
0: real life, he's been married like five times. So yeah. it's you know <laughs> it's it's kind of <laughs> funny to me. He has an ex-wife um, with a child. Uh, well, he has two children in real Wasn't life. Wasn't he married
1: for like four days or something too? That was like a couple years ago. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. This
0: uh, this woman named Erica Cokie, Um I mean, he. Anyway, like they could have. Yeah. You know, I wonder if they could have like lured in patricia arquette to play his in movie ex-wife as as well as how she's as she was his first wife in real life i yeah there's like there's some of this it's like they want to make fun of the nick cage persona but they kind of don't um Mm -hmm. there's the the scene that you're talking about where they go to like his uh, obvious uh nicholas cage uh monument and he's he's looking at this like wax statue of his of himself and face off holding the, the golden guns and he's like it's hideous and just i can't stop looking at it. and then he offers <laughs> he offers having twenty thousand dollars to buy it which, yeah. it which is just so off the cuff but it's also you know he's he's kind of a spendthrift nicholas cage is why he's got into financial difficulty a few years ago yeah. um just like little stuff like that which which, which makes it enjoyable um and you're right, like, the whole thing, the whole subplot about Javi, the FBI thinking he's, like, this international gangster, I it just, it's it's never remotely believable um, because we we spend time with Javi um, before we kind of get into his supposed list of crimes, so it, it's automatically, like, this, this guy? <laughs> this guy's, <laughs> like, kidnapping a president's daughter so he can, like, team up with another Spanish gangster so they can have him throw the election so they can have a more corruptible president in charge doesn't seem likely. This guy is like dropping acid on the beach with Nick Cage and they're acting out movie scenes and jumping off cliffs. It's uh, I think we've passed the point where we're going to believe Javi's uh, Kaiser Sose,
1: but uh, <laughs> <laughs> like but, in real life in real life you probably you might be able to because like people you know hide things right but mm-hmm. it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked in the movie i don't think right to, Like yeah. for him to be that then that would have been like what yeah. i thought this was a fun comedy not something dark yeah was a th- narcos or something you know like,
0: and i think it's like bristling with that you know it, it's you know thinking about like good action comedy is like lethal weapon it's it doesn't pretend that things aren't dark, um, you know. And a lot of the comedy in, in those movies come from the fact that you know the Mel Gibson character is just like so self-destructive um, that he'll just like walk into a hostage situation without a, a bulletproof vest. And um, mm-hmm. so the, the movie is kind of like it wants this kind of like sanitary, like it's it's a Nick Cage movie and everybody's like kind of relatively safe while trying to say like oh no these these characters are like will we'll like got you like a fish and it, it, it's it's it it, it just it, it's really hard to walk that line and i i'm not sure they they entirely get the tone right and and by the time it becomes a full-born nick cage action movie it's it, he seems <laughs> nicholas cage seems very comfortable in like these action sequences where hypothetically he shouldn't because he's an actor and not you know his his characters i i feel yeah. like 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 the car chase is a little you know he's a little too good expert at at you know driving in in a car chase um yeah that's yeah that's i mean stuff like that it, it just it, it it makes the movie feel off, and I wish they just put a little bit more thought into like how would a guy who is an action star like act in this situation? Like, is is he going to get behind the wheel and drive through this like gorgeous European city with with thin roads with like the precision of of Jason Bourne, or is he you know probably going to get you know, like try to drive the car upstairs and? like fail because real life isn't like a movie i I feel like that's that's where the the, this movie kind of lets things down it's it just it becomes a nick at some point it becomes a nick cage action movie instead of a commentary about a nick cage action movie
1: You sneaking a few
3: long peeks at Jackson over here? No, no I, I wasn't okay. looking. You don't mind none.
0: She's right. And all I don't mind. Little offense.
3: Everybody likes sex. It's a guess. But we're just not afraid to admit it. Queer, straight, black, white. <laughs> it's all disco. You know why? Because one day, we're gonna be too old to. And life's too short, if you ask me. The fact of the truth of the matter is we turn folks on and that scares them. And they can't look away neither. That's right. We're like a foxy car wreck.
0: Mm -hmm. And that was a clip from X. It's the new film from writer, director Ty West and it stars Mia Goth, Jenna Ortega, Brittany snow, Martin Henderson, Owen Campbell, Steven Ur, and Scott, kid Cuddy, Miss Miss Cuddy. um i didn't i didn't even know it was kid Cudi. i mean i'm i'm acquainted with kid Cudi's music um not so much with what he yeah. looks like <laughs> so yeah. but uh yeah so uh interesting interesting part for him to take on interesting movie too and um i i was interested in x uh i was listening to the I was going to say it's not last picture show podcast. It's next picture show podcast. Mm -hmm. And they paired it with Texas chainsaw massacre when X came out. And I thought, huh, interesting. Um, And it made me want to see X even more. Uh, Those comparisons are very much there. This does feel like a better homage to Texas chainsaw massacre than the actual movie that also (laughs) came out this year called Texas chainsaw massacre.
4: (laughs) that wasn't so much an homage it's just a let's just you know put we it have IP in time yeah let's just put it in 2022 and see what happens i guess 2021 i don't i don't really remember
0: i i don't think it matters yeah because <laughs> it's it was bolivia not texas that they filmed that in
4: oh or oh. was it
0: it, it was somebody. E- yeah it was somewhere that wasn't texas let's put it it that way it did not
4: look or feel like texas no
0: that is correct although this was shot x was shot in new zealand um which i let slide because power of the dog was also shot in new zealand so there's clearly something old westy about new zealand that Mm -hmm. that makes that makes it work yeah yeah (laughs) anyway let's talk about x yes gosh where to start where to start (laughs)
4: <laughs> so, um, I wanted to see this because i um I've really appreciated Ty West's films, though I have been very slow to go through them um primarily because there aren't actually that many that he's uh like are him writing and directing like
2: mm-hmm.
4: his complete vision. So I saw the innkeepers um quite a few years ago, and I just i just loved it. it was. It was so good. It was everything I wanted from a horror movie. And to me, it's funny because when I saw that, I sort of felt like to me, that was the beginning of, you know, this this new style of horror that has been coming out, the, you know, the <laughs> the high art of, of horror.
0: Elevated horror.
4: Yeah. Yeah. But that was sort of the beginning to me where I was like, oh, we're going back sort of to that more 70s, slower paced, bigger. Like small story, but bigger sort of mm. space. Like there's just there's just so much so much more. Like it's not all hand fed to you. So I really, really liked the Innkeepers. I found out that he had also done this film called The House of the Devil and waited a really long time to see it. I finally <laughs> watched it last year. Mm-hmm. And and just I mean, so House of the Devil is set in the 80s and looks like it's filmed in the 80s it's got the same shot styles and there's some grain to the film and of course like all the production design and i love that as well for a very different reason than i love innkeepers (laughs) because of all i mean i loved innkeepers for for the story and for the space and for this like weird tone of it whereas house of the devil i liked a lot for the aesthetic sort of feel but you know, also like it did still sort of have that slow pace and tone, but not as well done as I found Innkeepers did. Mm-hmm. So of course, X now being so um House of the Devil was actually his first film and then Innkeepers was the second, and now X, and I thought, oh my gosh. Okay, so now we're like we're doing that aesthetic, and we'll get like his really good sort of slow storytelling. And so I was immediately disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and, like Oh, this doesn't look at all like it was filmed in the 70s because the, I, the story of it is that it's set in sort of the very late 70s or, or you know, maybe even like very early 80s because it's mm-hmm. right as the videotape, home videotape sort of is coming in on the in the adult film industry. Mm-hmm. And they go to go film a, an adult film, a porn for those who don't understand what an adult film is. the euphemism we we Um, don't mean
0: the irishman
4: (laughs) (laughs) yes yes those films that only adults like um but yeah so they go to film it and and this all happens and so i thought we were gonna get you know the same sort of thing as house of the devil where he would really like try to replicate the style the aesthetic style and and he did not and so that disappointed me and so Mm. it started off on a on a not great foot and I had to just like stop and go, okay. Mm. I've gotta, I gotta let go of that
2: mm-hmm. and just
4: watch this now. So once I got over that, it <laughs> did take a few times. I had to, I sort of stopped the film a couple times to sort of walk away and go, okay, let me just clear. <laughs> but once I got over that, I did really, really enjoy this. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was so his films are langorious. That's what I'll say.
0: Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. Um, the, the whole thing about the aesthetic didn't bother me as much. Because I, I, I think that, you know, there are so many movies. I, I'm thinking about what what comes to mind is the machete movies, um, which mm-hmm. are supposed to be these lost grindhouse uh, kind of movies. But all kind of Robert Rodriguez does with them is like put like kind of a film filter um, in After Effects over stuff that was clearly shot on digital cameras in the, in the current age. Um, so yeah, the whole thing about aesthetic doesn't, but didn't bother me very much. I, what I was grooving on um, was, was the, the feeling, you know, it did feel, it, it did have a good sense of sort of time and place. And like the, the end of the seventies, the end of this sort of glam era of, of porn um, coming out of, you know, Debbie does Dallas essentially being an international box office success. Um, It's understandable why these mostly young people would sort of see that opportunity that, Oh, we can film ourselves having sex. And we, if we, if we do it someplace interesting, week two can become famous Um, that, (laughs) that has a certain sort of um, naive, uh, <laughs> naive optimism that I think makes sense for the era. Um, also on the cusp, it's it's in '79, so you get this undercurrent of you know the moral majority rising and televangelists. There's this televangelist that's on TV through, throughout the movie that's calling on fire and brimstone about the moral decay. And of course, what are these young people doing? Well, they're making a adult mm-hmm. film. And um, yeah, it's like all of this is going on it's very interesting um the cast of characters you spend a lot of time getting acquainted to them and um getting to know them quite well and you know you're this is one of those horror movies where you're sorry to see everyone die um you know it's yeah granted the 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 head guy i think is the guy martin henderson is playing um wayne um he's kind of kind of a typical kind of sleazeball producer character but um one gets uh, a real sense that he does love his leading lady maxine and that um they have a they have a relationship where um that's kind of positive there's no
4: (laughs) yeah yeah he doesn't so that and it is so so carefully yeah like it's really well done with the other the the guy who's a cinematographer of mm-hmm. the film mm-hmm. who brings his like youngish girlfriend
2: mm-hmm.
4: and yeah, it's so well done when she, after having you know helped film for a bit says, wait, maybe I want to do this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and
4: I just, I just really loved that. Like there was, there was this such a strong undercurrent or maybe it was an overcurrent of just like female empowerment. Right. It is about, Mm -hmm. owning your own sexuality and Mm -hmm. uh, you know britney snow's character uh, bobby lynn and mia goss character maxine were both uh, and i think bobby lynn certainly more than maxine because maxine is really trying to get away from something Mm -hmm. um but i think that she also uh, like appreciated the work uh, enjoyed the work Mm -hmm. whereas bobby lynn was totally like look like People, people are willing to pay money to look at me. I look great.
1: <laughs> I'm yeah. good at this.
4: I enjoy doing it. I do not see what the problem is whatsoever. Right. And so when Lorraine starts to sort of get introduced to these two women and then Maxine is sort of on the other side saying, you know, I, I don't know that she really likes it as much as Bobby Lynn, but she's just like, listen, don't let other people's values make you decide what to do. I Have decided that this is what I'm going to do, and I don't care what other people think about it. So Mm -hmm. she decides she wants to try it, and her boyfriend does not deal with it well. And I'm just I'm watching this scene where he's like falling apart over this, and I'm like, I love this because either you don't respect the women in these movies that you're Mm -hmm. filming, Mm
0: -hmm.
4: you don't respect them and think that that they're
0: whores, yeah, 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 and you
4: don't want that for your girlfriend, or you respect your girlfriend and all of the other women to be able to make whatever choice they want. Like those are your two options and it's clear how you (laughs) feel right now. (laughs) Whereas Wayne, I think Wayne really got it. Like he was Mm -hmm. very much like, look, like, yes, this is my girlfriend. I I love her. We care about each other. And yes, I let her have sex with another man for film because that's her job.
0: Yeah, there's there's something interesting in the the max character where she has this mantra it's like i'm i'm going to get the life i deserve i can't remember the her exact wordings but um to her it's kind of like a means to an end um but at the same time you know she she is the one who makes the case like look there's nothing wrong with like loving somebody you love and then just getting the pure physical enjoyment out of sex with somebody else as well and it is a very sex positive film. We like to think of ourselves in modern society as kind of sex positive people. But yeah, I mean, in most of our culture, still this idea of people who have multiple sexual partners, like if they're, they do have like a significant other but then they also have like a, a another sexual partner or people who enjoy group sex or swinging or whoever you want to dice it there's still kind of like a sinister moral overlay about that that you are someone who's like morally compromised if you in- enjoy sex to that extent and it was interesting to have this sort of like conversation in millis and then to have uh, lorraine who've Wayne has nicknamed church mouse um <laughs> which has some interesting uh, overtones um just said you know what what if I want to try and then yeah uh, the RJ thing although I, th- I think RJ is maybe a little bit more sympathetic than how you drew it um to be, I mean I think what uh, what happens is he's sort of like confronted with to the extent of his uh air quote idealism because he's mm-hmm. talking about in the in the movie he's like no we're going to shoot a good dirty movie it is going to be artistic it is going to have like french new wave influences <laughs> which yeah. seems like a lot but um and then to be confronted with you know it, whether his um his, his higher uh, artistic values sort of come into practicality when his um when his own girlfriend wants to do more than hold the the boom um, the boom mic uh, is it's a little bit more interesting also it's kind of an interesting subversion because RJ as the one who doesn't want to participate in this anymore um, sort of he finds the the red line for his sort of own moral acceptance uh, ends up being the first to die which is kind of weird because mm. usually it's the virginal sort of um, most or, or least immoral character who becomes the fu- the quote unquote final girl or final person. But uh, he, he as the one who is, is so put aback back by all of this um, that he bugs out. He ends up being the first to die.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's what's so uh, interesting about this film. And so when I talked about innkeepers, I was telling someone about innkeepers and I was saying that it was a really sort of ambiguous ending to innkeepers which I I really loved. And this film has this weird ambiguity to it as Mm. well, because we, you know, we start with this, as you're saying, it's like, it's really sex positive, but only for certain people.
2: Mm -hmm.
4: Because as we find out the sort of the, the evil that's sort of terrorizing them
2: Mm -hmm.
4: is also um, sexuality (laughs) you know it's also wanting to still be part of this world but we as society say no sex is for these people only Mm
2: -hmm. it's
4: disgusting when it's for those people Mm -hmm. and i i was just like wow this is really this is like good for him i think for for sort of Coming up with this idea and trying and you know forcing people to sort of look at their own like, oh yeah, human sexuality is a thing that
2: mm-hmm. exists
4: like mm-hmm. at all ages, uh, at everywhere on the spectrum. Right. Uh, I just listened to a whole podcast about the eugenics movement of sort of the like early twentieth um, century in North America, where we are sterilizing people who had um, physical handicaps. Uh, you know, some some mental um, handicaps. We're sterilizing them, and and it's just like no, like that's, you know, even people who have who people who are not, you know, beautiful like Bobby Lynn, mm-hmm. also need sexuality, have some sort of sex drive, and need some sort of intimacy, and what happens when you can't get that anymore?
0: Hmm. And it's, it's, it's that's played in a even amongst the the group of these like sort of nubile young people. You know, Mia Goth is in what we would consider conventionally attractive. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that you have Brittany Snow, who is um, she's wearing this red dress um, th- in, in the early part of the film, and she has her hair done up. I mean, I don't know if it was a direct um homage to marilyn monroe but you you definitely get the marilyn vibe Mm -hmm. from her um but then you also have mia goth who spends most of the movie walking around in wearing only overalls and it which is not kind of like overtly titillating you know overalls are not typically um i i guess in the in terms of like if you When you say to someone put on something sexy you wouldn't not really think of (laughs) overalls but um that's how she walks around with most of the film is just wearing these overalls and
4: and on top of that her character has um all these moles over mm -hmm. one eye Mm -hmm. like she has you know what what some people would say is like a physical impairment Mm -hmm. because it's so you know
2: yeah girls grow old and we all lose our charms in the end, but squake cut or hair shape, these rocks don't lose their shape. diamonds are a girl's best friend. They make time last you Get that ice or else no dice. He's your guy, who stocks are high. But beware when they start to descend. just you, nobody else but you. I want to be loved by you alone. Nein! You think I'm too dumb to comprehend the
4: jokes on me? What joke? Jello on springs!
2: Mary. Oh, no! Oh, no! No! No, 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 Mary! Oh, fuck! no, no! Get no. out! Oh, for God's sake! Minute. Okay?
1: I know, I know, Mary, I know, Mary. Sweet. I know, Mary's. Sweet, I'll take you in the back here. We got a little something for you. I'll be there in a second. Just settle down. I'll be there in a minute. We'll be there. Come on, sweetie. Get over here. You've done such a good job. Such a good job. Come on in here. Come on, come on. How about that? Billy, she's not a well girl. Hmm?
0: All righty. That was a clip from Blonde. It's the new film from writer-director Andrew Dominic, And it stars Anna de Armas, Adrian Brody, Bobby Cannavale, Xavier Samuel, Evan Williams, Dan Butler, and Julianne Nicholson. So, uh, Peter suggested this. And uh, I don't blame Peter. Oh.
3: <laughs> i i was shocked it hadn't already been done a biopic of the
0: marilyn monroe uh yes i think i was listening to some reviews like it was on different like film podcasts um and you know i was sort of i i after it came out i was feeling kind of ambivalent about it just it's like oh i don't like do i want to sit through this it's like three hours of of uh, marilyn monroe <laughs> essentially being tortured all her life uh um, yeah it's <sighs> all right i'm gonna start with positives um anna de Armas, so good
3: oh uh phenomenal
0: yeah i uh
3: just yeah remarkable remarkable absolutely uh the makeup job phenomenal like outstanding mm-hmm. right it, it just it looked it looked like monroe it looked like, more like monroe because of her facial structure uh mm-hmm. the actresses then like i think a lot of just you know whiteys with actual blonde hair or or, or more the the, the original kind of more brunette of monroe would uh, look awful you know so yeah yeah i didn't yeah. appreciate the uh, kind of backlash of that is anyone great. backlashing her there was a bit of a backlash yeah but the, like, yeah, it's it's because yeah, I'm, I, glad, I'm glad you hadn't even heard about that backlash because yeah, she's, she's remarkable. And I'm she's glad the best that part. Has. She's I'm the best glad part of it. this. this well, there's some I wouldn't agree. There's some reviewers saying it's the only good part, right? <laughs> but it is a, it is one. It is absolutely without a doubt a, a great part. Yeah, she's remarkable.
0: Yeah, it, it is interesting. She, there is like
3: kind if of it a was resemblance. Like a different, yeah. If it was a different film, mm. uh, she might be, you know, viewed. Uh, like Austin Butler kind of is with with Elvis, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, some of the other negatives have overpassed that.
0: Well, I I would also I I made that connection too, and I would say that Austin Butler is better than Elvis the movie. I think he yes, exactly, yeah. And I think that's I, I have a kind of a similar feeling about Blonde. Is that Anna De Armas as Marilyn is better than the movie? And I I, I what I appreciate is um the moments when, and and this is kind of like where the conflict between (laughs) the director and his intent is, you know, is, is that there are like moments where very clearly he wants to say, Hey, Marilyn Monroe wasn't just a pretty face like there's that scene where sh- she's meeting with Arthur Miller and she's talking and she's offering like insights about the character and he's like kind of blown away because he's like yeah okay I'll have a meeting with Marilyn Monroe and talk about her playing this character because like why not and then I'll go and hire like a quote-unquote real actress and then she she kind of blows him away with her insights and I'm like this is kind of the movie I want to see where it's like Marilyn Monroe um. I'm not just a pretty face. I have ideas. I want to be a great actor. Um,
3: yeah, like, they should have shown uh, that more. Her trying to fight or going against the mm-hmm. imagery that was being um, pushed down upon her. You know, just being that that hot blonde, right? The dumb blonde. Because there was a lot of that in her there life. There should have been. There should have been more of that. Little brief glimpses of her. Her trying to fight against that. Absolutely.
0: Well, I mean, she was like at the studio, like saying hey i'm not a dumb blonde like i can do things mm-hmm. i have range um you know and, and pushing for changes and trying to develop her own projects and um yeah she you know that's that, that's a great place to sort of build from if you like i don't know if andrew dominic is really concerned about doing like a feminist um <laughs> I, I, have, I have no
3: idea i have no idea because
0: there's i mean there's a lot of that in here this idea is like there were men in her life who chewed her up and spit her out. Well, and uh, like back
3: then, the, the amount of that happened to women in Hollywood, it's still ridiculously it high, but it was even higher. Yeah. So it being the main focus is a bit, unfortunately realistic. Yeah. So that's that's right. the one that I tried to keep in mind. Uh, I also, I do understand because the director is male people, not, uh, Lo- being able to use it as an excuse, oh well, that that did happen, you know, like mm-hmm. especially based on Me Too now, that did happen in the back. But it, it is by a male director, right? So it's a male. Look at that. Uh, so mm-hmm. I get that. I did want to note though, the book it's based on is by a woman, Joyce Carol Oates. She's mm-hmm. remarkable, and she herself uh absolutely loved uh the film. And just a quick quote from her: "Um, I think it was a brilliant work of cinematic art. Obviously, not for everyone. That's a, that's the
0: truth. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah but." <laughs> <laughs> and then she found it surprising that in a post Too era, the stark exposure of sexual predation in Hollywood has been interpreted as exploitation. So I do agree with her in that as well. Um, I do like it's unfortunately something Melnrow dealt with. I understand people questioning that as the choice for main focus, mm-hmm. but it is it being the focus does display in yes, a disgusting but realistic way of uh, the sexism of Hollywood. Right? Yes, this film is directed by a guy. But it, the book is from a woman, so I, I'm trying to, trying to to use that to keep um, some positivities going. You know, I'm... some some some. Uh, I guess I'm trying to find excuses for the sexual exploitation that is absolutely present.
0: Here's the thing, though. It's played when you know they they all kind of get together early in the film. It's like this is kind of like an idyllic sort of relationship you know they see her as not not quite idyllic maybe that's the wrong word but they they, they sort of see both norma Jean and Marilyn. they're able to that's see the why, that's why that's why i
3: kind of wanted to bring it up and do say like i was all right with that because it yeah it's they're the only people that like fully see her um i guess arthur miller gets close but yeah they're the only two where it really it really is uh like that um
0: but like but it said, doesn't go it's, anywhere it's because real. it's you know, she's with them, then she's not. Then she's with Joe DiMaggio, then she's not. Then she's with Arthur Miller, then she's not. Yeah, that's the problem with the, the film all around, right? It just kind of keeps coming back to that. There's a lot of
3: really great dips into things, different topics and characters, but
0: like really I understand, come, come I, understand I, I kind of understand what he's wanting, what he's trying to do, and like this. It's kind again. It's kind of what Elvis is doing. Where it's kind of like this lyrical, dreamlike. Um, we had great times, but we also had absolute bottom feeding, horrible. times. and you know this is kind of where Stan and Ollie kind of gets it it's like focus on one thing focus on one story you you don't have to see the whole life to understand the whole life and could they have focused on her like if if they wanted to talk about her her being exploited they could have focused on her early years or even her later years if they wanted to talk about like Marilyn the artist um, or Marilyn the like who is Marilyn? Who is Norma Jean? Like, you know, somewhere in the middle, like doing Niagara where she's like h- hitting her the peak of her star power. Um, or you there know, a, Yeah. There's a whole
3: lot of aspects of her life that couldn't have put in. Yeah. It really uh, it's just her her social life and her relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't learn anything really new about her acting roles or no. really even that many encounters. Um, like there was no I you go to like every fifties diner, right? But I, I there was no scene with her and like James Dean and Elvis and that kind of thing. Maybe that's even more realistic, you know, than the fifties diners. But um, I just all around there was definitely a lot of portions of Monroe's life that could have been included. I mean, it was, it's just though it's, it's more of a social focus on her life.
0: I mean, it's just it's so hard to get into because the the first twenty minutes are basically nonstop abuse and it, it doesn't help that the film also starts with like young Norma Jean essentially like almost being drowned by her mother who has uh, and this is another plot that's kind of dropped like a hot potato is her mother's mental yeah. health issues um although yeah Julian- it's like the main
3: dominant part and then it's just kind of absent it just kind of I guess she stops visiting her mom or it just it, other the, the males and those issues take over it's all oh, I mean,
0: although you know Julian Nicholson was, was I thought it was really great and did some really interesting uh thing yeah she's fine she, she was really
3: good at going mentally unstable yeah she was yeah it was good at that scary very
0: scary i mean it's it is scary like i, I genuinely the, scary the, the scene where they're like driving through the hollywood hills during a fire like that was that was a really interesting scene both in terms of like how it was composed and like the color like just like the orange coloring to the film was like really something um and i for a minute there i was like okay this this is interesting where is he going with this yeah and then and then it started to gain some hope (laughs) and then it smash cuts to the mom trying to drown her in the tub and it's like stop stop i'm already i'm already emotionally exhausted by this (laughs) and then she goes and lives with the neighbors and then they trick her into saying like we're gonna go visit your mom and then they drop her off at the orphanage and we smash cut from there to her uh you know going to xanax office and getting raped it's it's like 20 minutes of non-stop torture and horror for this poor woman and then uh well, the last 20 minutes as well because as she's sinking into like paranoia and um and banana drug use it's it's just it's like but none of that's boring it's not <laughs> congratulations it's not boring but it is <laughs> it is harrowing and you. it is
3: and, and not I, really needed, a lot of it not not necessary for the uh, the points and uh, plot.
0: And I will say this. Um, if Andrew Domic's intention was for you to it was to create like incredible empathy and sympathy for Marilyn Monroe, mission accomplished.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: Because <laughs> you feel really, 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 really bad for her. And of course like I I'm not a Marilyn Monroe expert by any stretch of the imagination but i know that you know f- from what reading and stuff i've done about her is that she was a woman who um was sort of admired by everyone but felt her- herself and her personal- like personal life like just desperately deeply unloved yeah and there were there was a lot of uh feminists and uh brunettes uh
3: that uh, really uh, hated Hunter, and they did kind of portray that a pitch um yeah. so yeah i would say not everybody loved monroe no no but, no, but uh, everybody I mean, that had power and the ability to mold hollywood
0: right theater. i mean looking back you know she was treated as like a beautiful object and not like as, as a person and and that is sad and i wish there was a way you could sort of tell this story um i mean it's, you know again he was making f- basic it, the, the book this is based on wasn't like a biography it was a novel so like there was stuff in it that's like based out of whole cloth and it's like if we're, if we're so if we're if we're going so long as basing stuff out of whole cloth maybe we can you know stop torturing this poor woman <laughs> in effigy yeah <laughs> and and you know that's this ki- that's kind of what i i was hoping for in this movie that we could do like something that's modern but isn't like rubbing your face in and 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 I, you know maybe in a couple of years looking back at this movie you're like well maybe our face should have been rubbed in it because as you said like a lot of this is still going on in modern hollywood but um just knowing that she, just what a deeply sad person she was uh mm-hmm. maybe we can have a happy Marilyn one day <laughs> that'd be nice just, you know, she's been gone 60 years. Maybe yeah. she, maybe we can Everyone have a can happy. Dream. Everyone yeah. can dream. Yeah. Anyway. uh, Three hours was a bit much. Uh, yeah.
3: Yeah. I would <laughs> recommend it to anybody who doesn't need a biopic aspect of a film who mm. wants some shock.
2: I, I, would I would recommend
3: reckon- this more to people that want some shock as opposed to people who like
0: uh Hollywood or uh history or anything. I would recommend it you know, to see Andrew Domick you know be as sort of like artistic and as crafty. It's an iPhone, like I said, it's different. And it's different. Yeah, so you know, it he doesn't make movies too terribly often. So um, you know, it, it's a it's a really great showcase for him. There are some scenes that really, really pop. Um Ana de Armas is so great, uh, but I wish I wish it wasn't as as the new yorker uh review said it was it, i wish it wasn't the passion of the christ or the passion of marilyn monroe which <laughs> yeah exactly
3: that's i really like that that's accurate it's very accurate
0: <sighs> okay we'll have to leave it there uh maybe we'll come back with a happier movie next week like smile i don't know um anyway that's our show we hope you liked it you can stay connected to us at our website, endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it on the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday from Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can find us on social media We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Peter, where else can people? Find you on the internet,
3: Mr. Tarak
0: on YouTube and Twitter. Oh, check well, that it out. Was, was, that was brief, and I appreciate that. After watching three hours of a movie, I will be <laughs> back here on cn for you Thursday at five PM for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and check out my news and politics site at Guelph Politico. And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU, 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another edition of End Credits. And we will see you then.